Hey, welcome in to episode 003 of Fatal to Prejudice. Today, I am here with one of my best friends, Jojo. Uh, we've been friends for approximately eight or nine years now, and uh, we get into some pretty deep discussions every now and then, but uh, I'm excited to have a discussion here with you today in this sort of format. All right, so Jojo, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Uh, good. Had a very good dinner with you. Um, always great to see my best friend. So good, awesome. I'm glad you could come <laughs> up with this. I'm pretty excited for you to be here for uh, calling this episode zero zero three. Um, right and that was from my first guest having a lot of optimism of what's going to happen with this. Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. Yes, thank you. Appreciate the oh, support. Always. Um, so I'm, I'm trying the trend here. Uh, the first two guests really enjoyed calling this spot, the lab. Do you have another idea or do you think the lab is cool? The lab works. I, it's a good space. I enjoy it. Yeah. It, it fits you. Thank you. Has, has my style, I guess. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Love, love the, uh, the judgment here. It's not bad judgment. No, no. <laughs> if I were to pick a room that of many, this would be the one I'd say probably fits you. Love it. Thank you. Anyway, I'm super glad you're here. Um, very excited to dive into some conversation. Yeah. Uh, I think you've lived a pretty interesting life. And, to um, some. <laughs> I, I'm pretty excited to hear, hear more about it. Um, so you grew up in a small town and honestly i don't remember the name of it off the top of my head right now um but it's the very very northwest corner oh, yeah. of ohio what was the what was so the uh, it, it's in williams county so okay. it that is the most corner of the corner of ohio um, yeah so you grew up there born and raised 90s kid yeah um, okay and then high school through the O's or school and high school through the O's and then college where we met. Um, yes. But if you want stories about my childhood or back home, uh, I'd I love guess, to hear it. <clears throat> I guess that's where we should start then. So I uh, grew up, like I said, in rural Northwest Ohio. So farming country. Uh, mm -hmm. There's nothing out there besides corn no. and soybeans and right trucks. You, you, <laughs> You've been there. You've been to my place. Yes. Uh, you can smack a golf ball from your house into Michigan. Oh, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, we we uh, basically had a firing range for guns. We that that time you came up, we we did shooting and yeah, enjoyed safely. ourselves it, safely. Obviously safely. Like no one yes. no one got hurt. Um, maybe a tree or two. Maybe maybe <laughs> uh, a target or two. But yeah, no, no persons or animals were hurt. right. We're, we're trained in handling <laughs> firearms. We're not yes. some idiots. <laughs> no. Um, so grew up in rural Northwest Ohio, uh, child of divorce. Um, that happened around when I was three. Uh, so that was very early on. Don't yeah. remember most of that time. So don't know how that affected me as a child, but always having to go back and forth between my parents. Uh, did you did you think that was like normal when you were young? Was there a point that you realized like, oh, all the kids around me, that isn't their life? 
No. So okay. I, I, I guess I, I assumed that I was fairly typical. Like there were other s- students like when I was in elementary school, kindergarten, what have you. Kids, kids talk like you talk about your families. Yeah. So like there were others that had separated parents like that was part of it. It wasn't the norm by any means. Right. Um, but I, I guess I never looked at the so- social stigma from it um, negatively for myself. Um, my, my family was well respected in the community and they were actively involved. Uh, father on the school board. Mom was a bank banker uh, loan manager for a while in the community and so it was just part of life um so that happened when i was young uh back and forth between parents houses during the school year at my mom's every other weekend with my dad summers with my dad every other weekend with my mom so lots of back and forth um but it was consistent housing i mean that i was fortunate for um my dad's house has been in my family since it was built in 1869 uh, on wow. the family plot. Yeah. So um, when about five or so great so great grandparents ago moved here from Germany, they got uh, a plot of land and the homestead's been not the same last name of householder, but it's followed uh, a lineage in our family. So um Live on 180 acres where I, I do enjoy going up and hunting. Uh, 180. 180. That, that's, that's what I stick to. That's what I say and I stick to it. Yeah. It's probably plus or minus a couple here or there, but yeah. Um, no, it got a lot of woods and grass and trees and grew up uh, hunting uh, rabbits and pheasants and learning to drive on, on a four-wheeler and then on a gator type rig on our trails and driving came easy at 16 like it was was expected i mean like you had to start becoming very self independent at 16. um so that happened uh hunting and fishing and i was involved with the church uh got confirmed as a lutheran Uh, that was a big thing for my mother's side of the family um so yeah, that was that part of it. Uh, beyond that, so as you know, as your listeners are about to find out, I'm gay. So um, <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna ask yeah, about that, so, like when you wanted to get into that. <laughs> yeah. So working up to getting into, yes, I'm I'm gay. So being raised in rural Northwest Ohio with farm country and everything else, it. it it was a bit weird or challenging if you, if you will. Um, because I mean, I was involved in school. I was in student government for the high school. I was, uh, in band. I was in choir. I was in plays or musicals, but I was also on the football team. I played you did all everything. Th- yeah. I, as we, as we talk, I mean, you'll, you'll find I've done, I've been doing everything. And yeah. I think that reflected in college too. Oh yeah. Um, because in high school I played all four years. I did junior high football, even like I played football. I knew football. And then I did, did baseball up through middle school. And then I did track, which was 
more my my style of play uh i enjoyed the sport more it was what can i do to put myself out there and really achieve my own uh accolades if you will uh achieve and put my own time in for myself yeah uh so came out to myself if you will when i was Eighth grade going into freshman year, roughly. I what started. What is that? That's like 14 or uh, so? 13. 13, 13 14. 14. 13, 14. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was when I, like, yeah, everybody's calling me this. I've watched porn by now. <laughs> Got caught watching porn already. It's gay porn. It, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm gay. Yeah. Um, but once I accepted it, like, I remember there were nights where I I laid in bed like praying, if you will, God, don't let me be gay. Change me, make me really. Oh yeah, like I I don't want to say it's every gay person's yeah. experience, but if they were raised in any type of religious household mm-hmm. with any type of conservatism in it, those thoughts crossed their brain at least once. Yeah. Um, but there was, fortunately, it didn't dwell. It didn't persist. But there was a period where I'm like, don't let me be this way. Just because I was fearful of the entirety of the process of having to tell everybody I'm gay and what that reception is always going to be like and the judgment or potential judgment thereof. Because I hadn't really seen much of a positive environment or role model of the coming out process at that point. It had always been characterized by being chastised or being made bl- made the butt of a joke or what have you. It, it wasn't ever the, oh yeah, that's part of life. That's how it is. Yeah, this was, this was early 2000s. Like, there was not what we have today. No, so this was very still very much like taboo. Like right, at, you didn't do this. No, at that time it would have when I came out to myself, it would have been probably oh six oh seven. Okay, um, and so end of Bush years. Fortunately, we were coming to Obama, but it was still we were under DADT. Don't have to tell. Um, mm-hmm. Lot of defensive marriage proposals were at were being implemented in states uh california had um not california i forget the state so i apologize it's all right but there were several states that were either challenging marriage equality that had happened or were implementing laws against it and so it was a very challenging time to see that identity um and actually identify with it yeah and i want i want to pause really quick and just try to put something into perspective for anyone listening <laughs> is like this is before the first iphone came out this is before netflix was a streaming service it was still ordered dvds to your mailbox if that like this was this was before we had any sort of technology and like word of uh, like anyone tweeting, Grindr there was no Facebook, yet. there was no <laughs> Grinder, there was no Tinder, there was none of that. It was 
you know the internet wasn't what it is today and it was the very early stages of getting into the social medias and the youtube and all that stuff myspace MySpace was was a a thing thing. oh yeah yeah if you don't know what that is please google it (laughs) it was the best social media era of any point in time (laughs) questionable yeah but like i mean like there wasn't ads tracking you there wasn't clout chasing it was just you know you hanging out with your friends when a person came to your page you could have a song play as soon as they got there yes it was interesting lips of an (laughs) angel uh by hinder was on mine that was yours yeah nice (laughs) (laughs) but i had to outsource the coding to my younger cousin yes yeah you could you could customize the backgrounds and the colors and everything to your your page it wasn't this uniform everyone looks the same except for their pictures type of thing um yeah anyway that was like my tangent on what the what life was like in the in the internet space and how far we have come in the past 10 to 15 15 years years. so i i just did the math earlier back in august uh because i came out to my mom in august of 08 uh so it it was 15 years ago that i started that that part of the journey do you remember that conversation oh yeah it's I want to say it's vivid. I only remember bits and pieces, but yeah, um, it was very. It's very much there for me. And the the thing I have to I have to laugh at now, um, because I, I gotta find humor, uh, is that when I came out to my mom, the first thing she asked me was, "Do I want to go to counseling?" I'm like, "No, that counseling is not. This is not a counseling thing. Um, I'm gay." yeah we're, we're, that's it um but then uh we hugged and it was fine i, I mean fine as as far as i'm not kicked out and my mom says she still loves me but she then says oh i thought your brother would be before you were oh shit <laughs> oh shit and so a little <laughs> bit else about me then is i do have an older brother who's six and a half years older than me he he was always in the arts. He he played in the band. He he sang in the choir, and he he was very much an artistic child with music and that type of stuff. Um, and really has never sought companionship with anybody. Uh, he he's not ever really seriously dated. Um, so I actually think he's asexual, which isn't neither here nor there. Yeah, but it's. He still hasn't told anybody if that is his identity. He hasn't told anybody that that's what his identity is. But he's content to live on his own as far as I'm aware. And he enjoys his work and that's his life. He enjoys it. Yeah. Hey, man, do your thing. <clears throat> do your thing. Be you. Right. So what, I, uh, what was sorry? What was the uh, what was the conversation like with your dad when you told him? So I so I, I'll take you on the journey here for okay, yeah. coming out. Awesome. So, um, so I told my mom uh, the summer going into my sophomore year of high school. Um, if I were to back up, I told two friends my freshman year that some girlfriends in um, in my grade that I think I like boys. Okay. So with that. So, 
a bit of it got out, but no one actually really pursued the subject because I, I, I was picked on at that point for yeah. being effeminate, if you will, at the school, but no one had concrete evidence or anything. And so it was just the typical harassment or bullying, if you will, of, oh, you're such a fag or oh, look at the gay boy type thing. Yeah. And this was your first year of high school right and in junior high and i mean even in elementary school those okay. those terms were being used yeah I, I, mean, I mean kids are kids do that as soon as you as soon as in fifth grade you have the talk about what puberty is people know what a hard-on is and that kids get vicious quick so um it started back then even uh but i kept my head down i tried to do decent in school and I participated in football and track and baseball and extracurriculars as I could. So with all of that, um, told a couple friends and they told a couple people it didn't go too far though, but people started to know. Um, and then that summer I had my first sexual experience with a senior that had just graduated. I was a freshman. They were a senior. And I consider that my loss of virginity. No penetration, no blowjob, just handies under the cover um, at this guy's parents' house. Um, they walked in at one point. That was funny. But um, so that was the first sexual experience. And that was what I deemed losing my virginity because that was the most sexualized experience that I had at that point. And that's really what confirmed things for me or was very much the awakening if you will that yes this is okay the world the world's not gonna burn from me touching another dude's cock <laughs> um so once i figured and realized that it's like okay let let's tackle the issues and move on um so in high school I, I kept it pretty under wraps after i told my mom going into my sophomore year because my mom was always terrified of oh what what are they going to do to you what what's their perception going to be of you and it's it's a dangerous life it's a hard life to be gay and so i didn't come out because i was one fearful of continued harassment or worse harassment or worse and what it would do to my mom at that point um now i told my mom because i had at that point, I was a teenager, boy, hormonal. My mom and I weren't on the best of terms at times. And so uh, I knew that if my mom were to reject me, uh, I could move in with my dad and it would be no questions asked. I could just say, I'm moving in. I want to live here. And that'd be it. And so... Uh, that fortunately didn't happen and I was able to live with my mom. But then at the end of my sophomore year of high school, uh, third quarter or spring semester, what, which have you, um, my stepmother unfortunately passed away because of breast cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it happens. It's life. Uh, yep. It's, it is sad, but, um, we get through it. And so with that, my dad was living alone then in our family home and I was living with my mom primarily during the school year and whatnot. And I'm like, I can't let my dad be alone in a house. 
when my mom has her husband and then there's me. I I I, I, I want to say I felt obligated, but it wasn't just that I was obligated. I just knew I needed to be there to support my dad. And Yeah, you were concerned about his well-being. Right, and that was hard on my mom, but she understood. And it's not like I didn't see her, but there for a while, our relationship did get... Uh, turbulent if you will um there were things that would happen like i would have a choir concert or something and i just wouldn't tell her that it was happening (laughs) i i think back on it now and i'm like i'm i'm such a little shit but my mom and i were butting heads and we were just at at (laughs) at a precarious place and so that went on and then um so then through high school i didn't really come out any further i didn't tell my dad yet even i don't tell my dad until i am at college um my sophomore year at college or junior year i think it was my junior year actually really waited that long yeah so like a solid four years or so go by Oh, since I told my mom, it was at least six. Six. I, I can do math. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good six years. So when I went to undergrad, uh, where we went, um, I, I was out on campus pretty much from the get-go. Like I joined the queer organization on campus and I didn't hide that I was gay on campus. Like, And... I was involved in a lot of things on campus. I was, again, involved in student government. I was involved in student organizations. I was in the band. I was in the choir at one point. And I did some play productions as well. So I was known around campus. I ended up going into residence life sophomore and junior year and so on. And so... The impetus, though, for me coming out to my dad was, (laughs) so with being in residence life, I came to the level of the head resident, if you will, and uh, I was overseeing an entire residence hall with some support of residence assistants and a couple other halls on campus. And so through the nomination process for homecoming, I ended up on court for... um, being a rep, being uh, nominated by my queer organization that I was the president of at that time. And so with that, and it, it would be then known if anybody came to the game that JoJo is representing the queer organization for homecoming mm-hmm. as part of court. And so my dad, I obviously told, hey, I'm going to be at this event. And so I had to preemptively a few weeks prior to that be like I'm gay and so what I did was I didn't have a conversation with him I wrote him a note I wrote him a letter uh, writing out I'm gay blah 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 I'm an adult like I I, I had I needed some self-preservation in that letter um and I don't know what my dad's done with it since, but I, I would actually be curious if he kept it or has hold on held on to it. But um, the next day after 
he had had time to read it because we had gone out to a um a banquet and then uh, i dropped the letter off at his house after the banquet when i knew he wasn't going to be home and i went to my mom's house for the night uh, <laughs> that next day i get a text message from him saying i read your letter i love you and it doesn't matter which that strengthened my dad and my relationship yeah, your, um, your dad's a man of few words, and they're yes. all powerful words. Yeah, and so me living with my dad for those years after his wife passed away, my stepmother, and then that me coming out has really brought my dad and I closer. Like, um, I, I will say in the era of Trump, um, our ideologies clash a bit, and it has made us a little bit butt heads a little bit more but there's still a lot of uh, recognition between us uh, yeah for each other so came out to my dad and then after that it was pretty much everybody i i held no bars at that point um my mom had one request though that since my grandfather was still alive at that point uh, on her side to not come out to him or not to tell him or bring up the subject to him um, just because my mom didn't want to cause that type of stress. Right. Whatever. So I, I complied, but I, I wasn't happy about it, uh, but I'm like, okay. And so I, that I would say did put a bit of a strain on my mom's and my relationship for a while. Yeah. Um, just because her, with being like parents have their own coming out journey as well once mm -hmm. they know that their child is gay. And so my mom's has been a bit challenging from the start because she she's the religious one of my parents. Um, my dad's fairly agnostic, even though he's pretty conservative. But my mom is moderate, but very religious. Um, so th it was harder on her with the coming out. And so she didn't want to impact her dad. And I get that. Um, but recently she's been better. She actually brought, bought me pride socks from Bombas this year. Oh, nice. Yes. That was, that was very kind of her. Yeah. It, but it, she bought it for me during pride season to get to my house for pride. Right. Which was touching because that's the first time that she's actively gone out to my knowledge to support yeah a an initiative for right. it for queer uh, yeah rights, so. and I'm, I'm sure like it was just a small little gesture oh, that yeah. made like a big impact on you right like i i told my partners about it i'm like this is a big step forward for my mom like yeah this isn't normal for her um real quick i know that we're um talking about like your your coming out story. Uh, I want to ask like the, the whole like living in rural Ohio uh -huh. and like before the age that we live in now, like we see football players and other professional sports players like coming out and like now it's not such a big deal. But when you were playing football in high school, did people know, did they treat you <laughs> differently? Like what was that experience like? Right. So in high school playing football, um, yeah, I, it, it was an impact 
the guys that were a year ahead of me were assholes. The guys uh, two years ahead of me were okay, but the guys three years ahead of sorry, the guys one year ahead of me and two years ahead of me were assholes. The guys three years ahead of me were fine, and like they they were the class with the guy that I hooked up with my freshman year and they, they were pretty much fine with him as well. Like they were pretty low key. So he was on the football team too. No, but but he was in sports. He played basketball and baseball and like that class was very close knit, very similar to my class. Sorry (laughs) about that. Uh, being close knit. Like there are some classes that I feel are just more close knit. And fortunately my class was, Oh, really quick. I want to put it into perspective. How big was your (laughs) high school? What uh, was the population? My graduating class was 48 students. 48 students. Yes. So an average of... With a 99% graduation rate. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, but One so person you, didn't. You want to say that your high school was about 200 students through all the years that you were there. Yeah. I knew I could name people in pretty much every grade plus or minus six years. Yeah. Like and everyone knew everyone. Pretty much. We okay. were a small town, 1,500 people. Okay. Uh, and I lived in the country right outside of that. And so not yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. So anyway, football. So football. So those guys were obviously assholes. They were dicks. And they made it a point to make practice harder for me than they would the other guys. And I, I, I looked to that because... Well, I put in a lot of work from my junior to senior year in the summer. It was a bit different uh, because I, I realized they weren't intentionally like throwing passes in as hard as they can for me compared to their to, to the other guys. So they and, treated you differently. Oh yeah, on the field. I, I, I'm looking back at like doing routes and everything, and doing practice and doing those things. They would intentionally do things that could be considered like not not blatantly obvious, but were to make it harder for me, which made my performance that much weaker. Um, because once I became a senior, I started all 11 games, not having played a single full game any of the years prior and like I I'll admit I worked my ass off a bit in that summer but there was also a level of respect that the guys below me had like I was good friends with the class right below me and them not intentionally going out of their way to make my practice harder um but when I was a senior um, I still wasn't out to many people. Like I had told just my two girlfriends in high school and they had let it slip a little bit, but it still wasn't known fact at that point. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember vividly after a scrimmage at one of the games, we were eating hot dogs in the locker room because of that, that's what was the meal provided after the game. And uh, one of the guys in my class is like, Hey, does me eating this hot dog turn you on? And I'm like, fuck you, no. And and like, he then later apologized to me like after we were done in the locker room, but no one laughed and like, people just like deadpanned and was like, really, that's what you're gonna say right now when we're in the locker room? Like, I was a senior, he was a classmate and he realized what he did was stupid right afterwards. And everybody there like, 
yeah, there some of them might be a little bit judgy for it to me be, for being gay, but for the most part, everybody's like, can we get, can we move beyond this? Like that, can we that, grow up a little bit. Right. At, at that point, And that, that would, that would have been fall of 10. And so that you can see it was becoming a bit more progressive. I mean, Obama had been in now for two years. Uh, DATT was being repealed or going to be repealed soon. So like there was just movement in like public perception of, okay, being gay isn't as big of a deal. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it was a bit problematic in the earlier years, but by the time I was a senior, I was on a team. I was a starter. I was respected and people, people valued me. I mean, I was an asset to the team. That's awesome. That's, I think that's like way better of a story than what you would probably see in like a movie or told in a book because you know, you, the typical thing was like being bullied because you're different and like, you know, you'll see in other plays, books, movies that that happens. The queer trope. Yeah. Of the gay person always has to suffer. Yeah. That is the trope. Fortunately, and I don't know if you've seen it yet, the show on Netflix, Sex Education. I have not. I would highly encourage watching it because it tackles and goes into several of these subject areas with um, a lot. It crosses a lot of subject areas, but they flip some of these tropes on their head and like they they show the potential for that trope, but then they don't go there. They discuss uh, in a in an African country needing escape routes from a gay, from a queer space in case it did become busted, but they didn't go there and show that it was busted, that no one got hurt. They showed the reality of the situation, but they didn't show the actual violence. There what there, there's not always going to be violence. And I think that is a damage that has happened uh, in media that, queer individuals always have to face hardship yeah which isn't the case and while it's good to have queer or gay leads it doesn't do a good service if they are always ending in tragedy we need happiness and there are so many stories out there of queer happiness it's just it doesn't quite sell to mainstream audiences yeah real quick uh on speaking of like tv shows and showing this hardship for anyone who's gay or part of that community. Um, did you watch Shit's Creek? Yes, I did. Yes. I love Shit's Creek. It was fantastic. I love the way uh, that they just have David be himself and he's gay and everyone's accepting of it and it's like a small like uh, hillbilly town but like no one cares and he's just normal and so is I can't remember his partner's name, but his partner and like everyone loves him. I think it's great. Patrick. Patrick. Yes. So fantastic show. I I think the idea for sex education with not going there with having to have that queer tragedy mm. stems from Schitt's Creek a little bit because Schitt's Creek is was one of the first to show that the queer story through uh, David and Patrick without having it have to go to tragedy. Like they brushed it, they br- they talk about some things, but they didn't go there. It 
it truly did show a happiness that can be found even in queer relationships. Yes. Yeah. And it's just normal. Right. A relationship is normal. Yeah. However you define your relationship. Right. Exactly. But yeah, I I think it's interesting like how you grow up and like it's awesome that you didn't have hardships. And then um from my view point in college, I met you my freshman year, you're a year older Sophomore than I am. Year. Uh and like you are one of the biggest people on campus <laughs> ever. I was knows not. Okay, in my in was. my eyes, you were. Everyone knew you. Everyone knew me, but that was because I was involved on campus. Like yeah. I was in the band, I was in the choir. I made myself be known. I was part of the first class of senators for the newly constructed government of the student body. Mm-hmm. So I was in the inaugural class. I wrote the dragon code which was like the governing documents for the student government and how we would work with student organizations on funding and allocation of funds and everything like that and just how we would represent the student body through being the student government that that was truly what we were trying to formulate is a formal process to give students a legitimate voice to the to the school and to the school staff. Uh, and I think it worked for a bit, at least. I, I yeah. don't know the current situation. I don't um, either. But for my time there, I, I feel like I did get a lot accomplished. I had agenda items that I wanted to push, and I think I got a fair bit of them done. Um, and I, I think that was a success um, because I, I'm pretty sure if, if that government's still standing it's standing with uh, with documentation from me uh, still being there. And I I think we can see that or discuss that even within the fraternity. Uh, what, because I crossed when I was a junior. Yeah. You were a sophomore. So, yes. Um, I, I've spoken about fraternity life in the first two episodes. And yes, <laughs> yes, everyone who's listening, there is another episode <laughs> with another person who is Greek. I love this person to death. I love everyone who has visited to death. So please don't hate on Greek people. <laughs> With the bad stories that are out there for Greek life, there are yeah. also some very positive stories about finding a chosen family. Because Car- Cameron, you, I, I, I do consider you my brother. Oh. I, like you are my chosen family. Absolutely, and the same to you. Thank you. Um. So, uh, but with that, so inside of it there, there there are governing documents and we were a uh, last standing chapter on a college campus mm-hmm. for several years yeah um and we had lost contact with our national cha- uh, national organization and our alumni chapters and it, because of that i wasn't aware of our our, our documentation so i I um, I I talked about how how are we formalizing ourselves? How how do we make sure that we have a documentation to keep ourselves moving forward and have a way to operate within the student government that we have to adhere to as well as also the the standards set by our national organization. And so we I tried doing research on what our documentation was. So I was getting nowhere or I was actually getting pushback from people who were part of the national organization 
on saying, oh, you can't do that. Oh, we have that, but not providing it to me. So um, I think you and I spent some time actually working on documentation. So that way there would be something there that would be lasting for the active chapter at our alma mater. Yeah. Yeah, we did. That was uh, quite the experience. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I learned that I learned my love of policy writing from parts of that. Um, yeah. Which is why I enjoy what I do, because I do see my my end trajectory being writing policy. Like my end goal is to earn my Ph.D. and then become a professor and work with legislators on doing research behind what will this policy implementation mean for the people that it'll affect what are the outcomes what will that actually mean for the people once it's enacted so that that's really where i i see myself going fortunately i think i'm on the right path i'm a data analyst for a collection of regional governments here in central ohio so now with the uh with the writing of the policy for the student government yes. and like doing the documentation for the fraternity is that is that kind of like where you're like it stemmed where you're like, I love this. Is that where it all started or is there so, something else? So it, it comes from before that even. So, I mean, in high school, I was part of student government, which was a, I, I mean, comparatively to the other organizations that I was with was a sham in a lot of ways. It was just students that were elected by the student body of their classes that did homecoming put together shit. So it, it, it was how uh, high school staff got out of actually putting together the homecoming and put it on the students. Yeah. Um, and I think that's pretty commonplace for most schools, but we didn't have much authority outside of planning homecoming in high school. And then I went to Buckeye Boy State, which was a lot of fun. Uh, got to be part of creating my own state and local government for Ohio uh, with about, I think it was... 1,500 or 3,000 students from across the state of Ohio all wow. engaging in it at, at uh, BGSU at that time. Was this like a summer camp thing? So or? it was a week-long event that is put on by the American Legion. Uh, several states have uh, Boys State. Okay. And there is also Girls State as well. Um, and it's, like I said, put on by the American Legion. And... It is for st students who uh, show uh, exceptional leadership in, uh, and um, academics uh, in high school. And their list of like four or five names are given to the American Legion with their accolades. And they then choose who gets to go and who gets to be an alternate or two uh, for the event. And it's always a very, it's a prestigious thing for the American Legion to send you to this because it is a selection process. Uh, so that that was one of my first like real inclinations of working in government and that that's something that can be done. And then I went to our alma mater where I studied uh, environmental sciences and got minors in government and leadership studies to get that government side because I always envisioned myself uh, working as the person between the hard sciences of environmentalism and just all the hard scientists, being able to have an understanding of it and communicate what those scientists' findings are and translate it into 
what does that mean for the people and how does that affect the the world that will need affected through policy to talk to the policymakers about what the science is saying so that's really where i see myself and i continue to see myself there um but i do want to be involved in the policy writing aspect in the future because having that understanding of what the science says and what the people need uh, i would like to be part of that process i don't want to be a legislator but be on staff or be brought in as a consultant to be like this is what our objective is how do we get there awesome so um so that was like your love you found that out early on and you actually have stuck with it which is pretty awesome uh, looking back at it, it today. talking here looking back at it yeah it, it it's been over a decade of me having this passion for the mechanisms of government mm -hmm. and understanding it and trying to be part of that that mechanism to provide a better world for our society that that's my ultimate goal is just be part of the system that improves conditions for society that's awesome and um so you you find this love and you do your thing at our alma mater and you're like all right i'm gonna go to get a master's degree and so i got my master's degree at the glenn university at ohio state uh, or glenn college sorry at the ohio state university uh with for my mpa masters of public administration where i did a focus on energy and environmental policy analysis so mm -hmm. and after that i then got a career in doing program evaluation analysis of programs and then I uh, changed from that organization because there wasn't just there wasn't much of a growth opportunity and I was very introductory level and I wanted something closer to my home. I was driving over 20 minutes to work. Now I have a 10 minute bike ride. Yeah. So I, I wanted to be closer to home uh, for when I'm working. So I got this new job and instead of being a research associate, I am now a data analyst, uh, but it, it was a step up for me. And so, it, and it was with an organization that I can now see my steps forward to getting to where I want to be um, in the long run. And I'm excited for that journey that I'm about to go on. That's awesome. So you're analyzing data. What, what data are you looking at? right now like what what are you seeing what do you do that that it's there's a lot yeah so over the summer one of the big things that i was working on was the was an agenda dealing with sustainability and sustainability measures and so i had to do a lot of research around about 30 different measures to track various aspects of sustainability for the area and so with that uh there there were a lot of interesting findings um so when you when you say sustainability what does that mean sustainability is the act or practice of reducing waste and emissions and being environmental and working to keep the space green or become okay. greener in our applications within our economy to make sure that we're able to have a 
bright, vibrant future for the region, for our children, with having green spaces, having breathable air, not having too much waste in our landfill and other aspects like that. So th that is sustainability. Um, so within that, there, there are several measures that I could talk on. Um, interestingly, uh, we had the change in administrations earlier this year. So a lot of these measures are tied to potential shifts in policy uh, by the new administration. So one key being was we're tracking the number of electric vehicles that are part of the mix of vehicles here in central Ohio. And so with that, uh, I was tracking, I had to track the number of electric vehicles that have been bought over so many years. And then I have to project out what our goal is. And then right when I was trying to decide that, I hear of the administration's goal to have 50% of the new fleet by 2030 be all EV vehicles. So we had to play that into our projections and how we wanted to adjust and make a target for ourselves and for the region. Um, other one is one that I'm actually kind of proud of or interested, more interested in was the energy cost burden or how much money do households spend on their energy costs and what threshold is considered burdensome for that for for people and so having to do a lot of digging on what that percentage is and so we ended up find coming to five percent of a person's income is the threshold for being cost burden um, whereas say for housing cost itself it's 30 percent income um, and so i through some manipulation of some acs data and some other sources uh, with the bls uh, we found or estimated over time the number of households or percent of households rather that are energy cost burden and nowhere else have I seen that application or a method similar to that or actually anywhere that actually talked about people spending X amount of their income on energy costs and it being cost burden. Uh, typically when they're talking about cost burden what they do is they look at a geography whether it be a census block or census track or zip code and evaluate what is the mean or average energy cost burden for that geography but that doesn't tell you how many people are actually affected by that energy cost because you could have a high number of people with very low but have a few that have extraordinarily high energy costs while that's not realistic there's there's a lot more room for variance when you look at it that way versus trying to estimate the actual number of people that are affected by energy costs so that was an interesting one that i found there um, another area that i recently uh, had to do a little bit of digging was on some economic development here especially with us coming out of covid and the uh, the income protection for uh, people on unemployment, the unemployment insurance uh, was going out. And so one of my tasks for was to look at how many people are looking for jobs, how many 
job postings are there and how many what what what's the balance of jobs and people needing jobs and jobs available and so so with that the dialogue that we were trying to find was there is a worker shortage there are not enough workers for all of these positions but when just looking at total number of jobs available and total number of people searching for jobs that didn't line up we i i could genuinely say there are less workers available for those jobs but there are also less jobs available overall the the number was down uh, at the time that i was looking at this about like 10 percent from january 2020 numbers which that's more than the gap in the number of people that were looking for work compared to the same number of people looking for work at that time so i could not say in good faith or or at all that it, it's the number of workers that's the problem it because that was not true it is true it was at that time the number of jobs available now if you if i were to play with some of the metrics inside of that it, it was uh education level or education requirements for the job postings and when we dissected it that way jobs on the lower end that only needed no education or experience or some education or experience level those jobs were experiencing higher demands or higher levels of actual job demand now can you say like what types of jobs these are so jobs like that um we can anecdotally say are manufacturing or warehouse jobs or or those entry-level positions that are a bit more manual labor to be okay. fair um but i would not say or classify them as sales jobs or uh, people that are at or working in retail spaces they they would be in warehouses or or similar type of utility type of space like that okay sorry and then keep going into like the higher level of education yeah and so so as i said those for, were for the lower and some education requirement now there's moderate level education considerable and extensive education requirement or experience requirements now those were all down and so we have this base of our economic pyramid with people needing job or employers needing workers in those lower skilled jobs but upper skilled jobs weren't needed as much during this time and part of what i want what i was thinking is that a lot of the jobs that were lost during covid were those retail middle jobs that do require a little bit of experience moderate level of of uh of education or training and so i think those were the jobs that were really lost and those aren't coming back as fast as say the warehouses jobs and those individuals i, I mean if i were to be a full-time retail employee i don't know if i'd want a career shift from working sales or working in a department store or that type of work and working in a manufacturing or a um or machining type shop or warehouse that that'd be a career shift and i don't think a lot of people should be forced or expected to make a career shift like that if they think or want to go back into their field that they were working in prior to covid 
Interesting. Um, so I, f- I'm curious. I feel like other people will be curious. Where, like, where does this data come from? Like, how does it come across your desk? Like, how is it collected? So a lot of our data um, we get from verified government sources, uh, like Lira- Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, Ohio Labor Market Information System, um, American Community Survey, um, and then there are a few university. Uh, research departments and firms that produce uh, data sets for consuming um, for free and then they have like a pay tier where you get more granular refined data at a higher level and so on and uh, depending on what the goal or aspiration of the project is we might go for those or we might just use that free service of tracking certain smaller less granular numbers interesting so this is like your main focus recently on like what you're looking at at work uh it was recently yes um right now we're because i'm a data analyst i'm working with um another team member one of the big projects right now is creating a data hub for the data that we produce which are on like county projections on population job growth and uh just economic conditions and forecasting traffic pattern type stuff. Oh, interesting. So like you're looking out like five, 10, 15 years, like what, what it's looking like in this certain area. Yeah. We, we go out right now. I'm working on the 2054 numbers. Uh, oh, wow. we just, uh, a couple years ago posted the 2050 numbers. And so we're working on an update to that. Um, and so it, it's a 30 year and we're mandated to do this. Like it, it is part of our um, charter, if you will, how, why we're part of why we are what we are to do these forecasts, to do these projections um, for the region. Now, is this like available? Can I go out yeah, you, on Google and read this? Yeah, you yeah, you'd be more than able to go to our website and look it, look it up. Yeah. OK, cool. Um yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. I'm very interested to read it now and see I can, fruits of your labor. <laughs> I I can show you some of these documents once we're done here. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love. I'd love to see it and see like what what it looks like for Yule, Ohio here <laughs> in 20, 30 years. Well, um, I mean, we're expected to have to grow in population by twenty fifty to three million in Greater Columbus area. Yes, and we are at right now about. 1.2 to 1.3 i think okay so in 30 years double. we double yeah and now correct me if i'm wrong i saw this stat uh i think a couple of years ago that we have a higher population here in greater columbus area than we than san francisco does in greater san francisco area do you know that so our m- so our metro area or yeah. Our metro area is bigger than their metro area. Okay. Yes. But the city of which, which city was it? Sorry. Is it San Francisco, I think. San, the city of San Francisco yeah. is more populated than the city of Columbus. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. So metro area is different than jurisdictional area. Right. And they have way more going on over there than we do. Oh yeah. I mean, you got yeah, there's West Coast. We're yeah. mi- we're we're flyover country almost. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're we're growing. We got some things going on. We have a few. Yeah. Um so yeah, with my work, 
that that's what I do for work. I really enjoy it. Um, but I have other goals. I have other aspirations and I, I really want to get back into doing more research. That, that mm -hmm. is m part of my passion and goal is to do more research again, which I do think is a possibility and a strong, strong thing that's going to be coming for me soon. Awesome. I don't, I don't know if me personally, I could sit and research something for eight hours a day. I feel like I'd get tired of it, but it's, it's awesome that you can sit there and do it. So my thing is I do this research because I don't want to just diagnose a problem that a mm -hmm. lot of research in academia in fellow in the organizations that I work with, they always are talking about what is the current problem? What is currently going on? And a lot of times I don't hear the solution and that, that's what I want to be part of my research and part of my, my ambition is yes, do research to have an understanding of what's going on, but that research shouldn't just end with identifying the problem. It needs to always go to the next step of identifying solutions. And mm -hmm. there might not always be a solution that exactly fixes your your problem and there there isn't always going to be a solution out there that has fixed similar problems but we need to at least look for them and identify okay that's sort of in the same area or that's sort of similar to this problem that i'm facing how can i adapt that how can i work that into my area here to actually provide a solution or what what ingenuity do i have what imagination do i have to actually come up with a potential pr solution that's actually accomplishable mm -hmm. and that that's what i think is missing a lot is the how how do we get there and we, we need more we need more people that are actually willing to say this is the issue we've identified it now we need to solve it people like to sit and spin wheels and say this is the problem and just stay there yeah we need more more people to find more solutions that's that's pretty cool so um what's like the i guess what's maybe maybe to you but like maybe general uh what's like the burnout rate here in your field are people do people do you get tired frequently or do you love like like you can work this every day of the week and fuck no <laughs> <laughs> no i love I, I, I love what i do I, I i don't want that to not to not be apparent i, I love yeah. what i do but my work is work mm -hmm. it, it is tiring it is exhaustive i don't want to do it every day all day like i i have other things that i want to do with my life yeah um but I, I i do love what i do it's just as you said sitting there day after day for eight hours doing research or doing studies or looking into things, it does get tired. It does get exhausted because I'm seeing the same things and I feel like there's no one's moving on them. Mm -hmm. So there is a bit of burnout, I would say. Uh, but typically, especially in public sector, uh, people are in it because they want to help. They want to be part of the solution. They want to be, uh, doing something to better the community and so I, I i i think because of that alone people don't just leave the industry unless there is truly something managerial side that's causing them issue so it's more environment rather than work 
Yeah, and I, I, I think outside of the government part of public sector, there is a understanding of we're all people, we all have lives, and we all have things going on in our lives, and life happens. So th there is that level of accepting and understanding that something's going to come up and you can take you can take and do what you need to do to make sure that you can come to work the next day and be fully fully functioning yeah i i i ask because i find your job your work very interesting mm -hmm. and i love hearing about it and in my eyes it's not something that is like looked at as like i guess the the hero job, the favorite. Oh, like, no. I just think it's so cool, though. I want so my my aspiration has always been to be the person behind the scenes mm. doing work to help someone else along the journey, uh, to be the support, to be the person to. I don't want the accolades. I want to help just solve the problem and be there, and so that that's my job is I'm behind the scenes. I am doing the work to make things better on the front. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that's, I, I enjoy it and it, it, it is in the shadows. It's not the hero's job. It's, but I don't want the hero's job. Yeah. I, I, I want to support them. I want to be, uh, the Alfred, if you will. Yeah. Like Batman's Alfred. It took right. me a second. Right. To like yeah. Sorry. Connect that dot. Sorry. Yeah. I want to be like Alfred for Batman. Like, yeah. I'll be there with the glass of water and the aspirin. Yeah. I'll clean up and make sure the everything's <laughs> pressed and cleaned. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. I, yeah, I'm very, I don't know. I've been, I'm always excited to hear what you have to say and like what you're seeing. Um, and like, I'm not really a news person. I don't follow right. the news all, all day, every day. I um, <laughs> you kind of have to. I, I I have to be aware of current events. And yeah, I mean, right now the infrastructure plan. I mean, that will directly impact my job. Like that'll affect the funding that we get and what projects we can and can't do, and where we can and can't advocate for moving things forward in our area. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I I just always find it so cool to hear what's going on over in the background. <laughs> A lot of moving parts. Lots. Um, yeah. So I want to know, like, you don't want to do work all the time. So no. What's, what's your uh, What's your hobbies? What do you What do you enjoy doing? Oh, what's fuck. <laughs> well, fucking is one. But um, <laughs> no. So my I don't I haven't had a lot of leisure time lately. I I have a part time job. I do work part time at a clothing retail shop for a pretty queer organization. We. We sell men's underwear. We sell leather goods. We sell club wear and going out wear and what have mm -hmm. you and other fun items, I'll say, for right <laughs> now. And so, like, that takes up a lot of my time. Um, and then I have a very good chosen family. Um, I, I am uh, open and I am polyamorous. I have two partners. They keep me very occupied with time. Um, and then going and doing events with them, uh, going to the bars, seeing friends, that type of stuff, dancing and just enjoying myself and having a good time going to events and traveling a bit across the country. Like earlier this summer, I went to Yosemite and 
went to Monterey out in California. Those were both very fun. I was with my partners. We had a couple friends join us for the trip and it, it, I hadn't seen California. That was my first trip out there and I've really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm excited to go back to San Francisco and um, see all that that has to offer again. Yeah. I want to, two things I want to touch Please. on. First, um, another taboo subject. You mentioned a polyamorous relationship. Yes. Yes. How is that? What what goes on? It's you know, it's still more <sighs> taboo than being, you know, being a fucking fag. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say hey, that. I can say I can call myself that. I am only calling yeah. myself that. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say LGBTQ <laughs> plus all the, all the letters. Right, the alphabet <laughs> soup. Yes, them alphabets, people. <laughs> Easy. Um, <laughs> So what do you want to know? Like, I, I can answer your questions. We can yeah, go like, down the path that you want to go down with that. So I, I don't know. Like, what's what's it like? Do you feel do you feel like you're a subject to be with one person um, or like both of them or like you guys just. So the three of us know. live together. We we share a house. Uh, we cohabitate. We are always doing stuff together um but we also have our space um like i'm very reliant on them and i feel like they're very reliant on me like we we are set in our ways a lot and we like during the week we trade off who's cooking and then who cleans the dishes and then we sit down at the end of the night we have our couch and we watch a tv show or two and then we go to bed um it's pretty blase i feel like it's fair fairly stereotypical of a relationship it's just there's three of us not two yeah it sounds like to me it sounds like it's a typical relationship instead of two there's three right so there's nothing like i guess really outstanding that would be i don't know an outlier of a situation it's just three people now the thing that we have to add to this is that we're also open and inside of that uh we're kinksters we're bdsm we're we're fetishists so we we also play in that world and because we're open and we're polyamorous we it, we do lend ourselves to being involved in uh the leather community bdsm and so we do have other partners outside of the three of us as well that we do stuff with and engage and we have our one-on-one -on -one time where we have our um our various relationships with our very close friends and that that's how i would th they are more than friends but they're they're our family but they're they're our, they're also our best friends as well that we enjoy spending time with and bring into our lives and have understandings with these are my two boyfriends these are my people that i I, I want to spend the rest of my life t life with. I want to go on our amazing adventures that we go on and see the world and experience with. But we don't limit ourselves to saying that we can't have our other friends in various types of dynamics or relationships with ourselves. And that never takes away from our actual relationship with each other. It only adds to or it builds with our relationship. And the three of us, we, we are our quote unquote primary. We we value each other first and then our secondary relationships, our best friends, our family, we, 
we value them and we we build out how we can within our relationship those relationships so like i'm just trying to think here like mm-hmm. you would say maybe uh that like the whole intimate time is not like as sacred as a as a two-person relationship in the typical sense so what what define what you mean by that like where we're in a two-person relationship they would say like you know when we're intimate we're intimate with each other anything else is considered cheating yeah no so we're we and it's different among other polyamorous or other open people but for us we we don't really have physical cheating you could have emotional cheating that that is a potential but we we base a lot of it all off of our ability to communicate with each other and just tell each other how we're feeling and what our feelings for each other are or what our feelings are for our our best our friends that we include in our family and so it, it it's just being able to talk to each other about this is what i'm currently feeling this is what's going on this is what i want to see happen and this is what i don't want to see happen it's all about being able to communicate wants and desires and for the three of us we're able to do that with each other without i don't want to say without jealousy because jealousy is going to be real and going to be part of it but we don't let that jealousy consume us and don't let it become a wedge between us um often we're we're the three of us are very open about um our interactions and we 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 don't coddle our friends when we're like we have our a little tiff of oh you forgot to take out the trash like little things like that we we're just always we always try to be genuine and so i i laugh because some of our friends are like that is so just organic and so refreshing that you guys are in your relationship and you're not trying to coddle your friends you're just being open and being genuinely ourselves and those tits tits or tats if you will only last for the five ten minutes of oh you forgot to take out the trash when i asked you earlier to do it type of thing Mm -hmm. it doesn't last it doesn't persist it doesn't prolong and we talk about it then later and we get over it it's always about having that line of communication and being open and just talking about how we feel like that is that's the impetus of the relationship that is what makes the relationship strong or able to last as it has so the advice you would give here is open communication communication fucking talk to each other yeah or at least know each other well enough to know nonverbal cues of each other like yeah be able to be like oh that bothered them i need to correct Mm. or fix or i need to go check on or i need to be there for them and vice versa would you say that that uh that part of a relationship is more difficult having two other people or would you say it is easier where you can all just communicate i think it's i do think it's easier because it's not me versus you. It's not me versus them. It We're all able to have and do have our own opinions and we can openly discuss them. And really, we allow for each other to say, hey, you know, so you're 
our other partner had a good point there. You kind of messed up or mm-hmm. I'm able to take it and be like, yeah, I, I realized you two were right. Or, Hey, you're, you weren't right on this one. We, we're, we're able to acknowledge that. And we're not coming from a place of hostility or we're not coming from a place of trying to get each other. We're, we're just trying to figure out and we're trying to live our lives and, have a, like I said, have adventures and just enjoy our time. So if, if someone were to like come up to you and be like, Jojo, I think your idea of polyamorous relationship is stupid. It's irresponsible. It's very taboo. Like, what would you say to that person? Okay. <laughs> you don't live my life. You don't pay my bills. I, I'm happy. I'm content. I am enjoying myself. I'm living a life that I am happy with. I'm having fun. I love it. That's the best advice, I think. Yeah. It's my life. It's not yours, right? Right. It's my life. I'm having fun. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not harming anybody. I'm trying to be productive and have my fun along the way. Yeah. Like, I I think the point of life is simply to enjoy it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it's it's the question of like what is what is happiness? What's the meaning of life? And I think you're kind of hitting on it here that it's it's yours. Yes, it, it is 100% yours. Like my definition for happiness is different than yours. Yeah. And what brings you joy? I I I don't there are so many things that can bring you joy. But find yours and enjoy mm-hmm. it. Don't let other people talk down to you for it as long as you're not harming anybody else you're not harming yourself and you're able to function go for it yeah i love it that's awesome um so next i wanted to bring up uh travel i always talk to people about their travel i do enjoy travel yes you love travel. I love travel. I want to hear all about it. You went to Yosemite. You've been many other cool places that I have not been yet. I want to hear about it. So let's start with some of the early, early trips. So when I was in like middle school, I went to Canada with my parent, with my mom and stepfather to the Canadian Rockies. All I'll say is, ooh, look, there's a mountain on your right. <laughs> ooh, look, there's a mountain on your left. I, I was a I was in middle school. Okay. You were that asshole. <laughs> don't take a don't take a middle schooler to the fucking mountains. There was nothing there besides mountains and hiking. Like, don't get me wrong. Looking back at it now, it was very cool. It was very nice. It was very pretty. They were fucking mountains. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. They're cool, but Five or six days of being in the mountains with your parents when you're in middle school wasn't the ideal vacation. Right. There were no other kids. There were no other things going on. Just us in a car in the mountains seeing pretty things. <laughs> I tell you, my my happiness is mountains. <laughs> oh, I get it. And I, I think had I been a bit older, yeah. I've been with friends versus myself. Right. I think the experience would have been a little bit different, but I was a kid in middle school with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
I've I've done a bit of traveling to St. Louis baseball games for the Cardinals. Always enjoyed that. Uh, done Florida a few times. Mm-hmm. Seen done consciously i've only been to universal and uh islands adventure i when i was really young i did disney down there but i couldn't tell you anything about it yeah that so long ago so young um but then uh in high school i went to europe for part of my spanish club trip uh was 11 days seven countries wow. 10 cities Wow, that is nonstop. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, but it, it was a lot of fun. I saw Spain, France, and Italy primarily, um, and Rome and the Vatican, and uh, saw Nice, which was nice. <laughs> what, um, was, what was your favorite part about that trip? So that's where I first bought cigars. That was the first experience of me buying cigars were Cuban cigars in Italy. Ooh, fancy. Right. Like, I, I thought to myself, like, I grew up on Lake Erie fishing every other weekend with my dad. And some of the other guys would be smoking cigars down the docks. And I'd mm-hmm. shoot the shit with them as a little know-it-all brat and <laughs> just learned about the world from them. And they would smoke cigars. And I always thought the smell was, was great. And so that's where I bought my first real cigar i'm like if i'm gonna smoke a cigar ever i'm gonna make it a cuban and it's a i'm gonna be it's gonna be good well that's where my love of cigars has started um (laughs) then in undergrad i smoked started getting good cigars that i could legally honduran Mm -hmm. cigars and nicaraguan and what have you cigars um and then i took a little bit of hiatus for a minute and just life and everything but now smoking a cigar every so often smoking a cigar with you every so often uh so that was from the europe trip so i i vividly remember going in there and being like saying three cigars <laughs> and they picked the three out and they just handed them to me and i handed them the cash and that was that was that that was like the best part right of the i don't remember much trip. else i just oh, remember okay. the square that i was in and buying cigars awesome um and then we went on our trip to the bahamas not us not us not you and me or yes yes we did oh my god we did i'm like bitch (laughs) i was like wait we went on a trip specifically to the bahamas no no we did yes yeah we we, went on a cruise we we went on a cruise to the bahamas (laughs) That yeah for sorry. for your graduation sorry yeah. there was, um, there was a couple other people there too yeah w- your cousin your yeah yeah so we that was another trip that was fun uh, I think we could have had more fun had certain individuals not been there agreed agreed um, I think you and I need to do a trip we've talked about it we have we we've never actually made concrete plans to do so. We both live. It's hard yeah, to do. Yeah, I, we live weird lives. For us to get tonight even in the books, it's like, <laughs> hey, what are you doing that day? Uh, Yeah. it That'll yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for us to get together for a, uh, for a trip, it might take some planning, but we should do it. I agree. And 
I think we're both coming more to parts of our lives where we can. Yes. Uh, we're, yes, we're getting absolutely. more settled in. Um, we, I think we have those options more. Um, so we did the Bahamas. We bought those fake Cubans. Yep. Uh, boo. Boo. Uh, Stop selling fake Cubans. Yes. Assholes. Buyers beware. Yes. Uh, but then that that was the summer before I went to grad school because I went went to grad school that following January because we went on that trip in the summer. Yeah. And so that following spring semester is when I started my graduate program. And so then I didn't do any traveling for two, three years. Um, mm -hmm. At the end of that program is when I went, met my partners um, at that time and started to then travel about after about three years uh, traveling to Atlanta to Fort Lauderdale area um, for pride or just for a small vacation away from everything. And then in the last couple year, two, three years, uh, including COVID, unfortunately, uh, have done a couple other trips, went to Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, that if you ever get the chance, I would highly encourage going up to uh, yeah. Vancouver. It very pretty walkable city um it, it's just really cool atmosphere i i really enjoyed it i was there for their pride but it was a fun time outside of that too yeah uh and then this past summer uh went to yosemite uh san francisco and um uh monterey sorry yeah and so that was a fun trip uh, about 10 of us close friends we we had all been vaccinated at that point and we're all abiding by all mask mandates and everything that we could and just had a really good time hiking in the national parks and the other state parks for the redwoods and everything that they have out there and it's just a really enjoyable time and there weren't a lot of people fortunately because still had covid yeah. uh, restrictions and so being one with nature was a lot of fun there. And so I, I, I'd be excited to go back and see those forests again. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, at that time, I had twisted my ankle, so I wasn't able to go on as many full hikes as I wanted to at that time. But it was enjoyable what I did get to see. It's another reason to go back. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's a place I haven't been. Uh, I'm very excited to go at some point. Um, one I want to do is I want to do Yellowstone. That that's one that's on my list. Yeah, uh, to do. I was I was out there in March. I don't know if I told you about it, but yeah, I was out there in March, and it was still like Yellowstone was closed. I saw it from afar, but um, I was at the Tetons, so they're right okay. beside each other, and it was still ten degrees outside six feet of snow on the ground like it was to me it was incredible <laughs> i would not enjoy that i do yeah. not like the cold um, i'm a nerd about the cold and the snow and all that stuff but anyway yeah yellowstone definitely on the list of places to go i also want to go out to death valley oh uh, yeah for in the united states and the grand canyon i i do want to see the grand canyon now internationally some of the places that i do want to see is i want to see egypt I want to see uh, parts of Israel. I want to see Greece. Um, and then 
I would like to probably see Japan and maybe China. Um, but definitely, definitely the Middle East. Uh, those two places would be high on my list. My uh, my episode before this one, you should check it out. Uh, the guest talks about his life and living in Israel for a oh, short really? period of time. Oh, yes. cool! Because to talk about all the cool stuff, all the travels, it's it's a cool ride. Uh, it definitely wa- uh, made me want to go. Yeah. So I, I mean, just the cultural experience of it. Yeah. I mean. I have a thing for ancient civilizations, so mm-hmm. I, I want to see the Egyptians, uh, the Karnak and Luxor and the pyramids and the Sphinx and the Valley of the Kings. Um, but then I also want to go down to Mexico and I want to see the Aztecs and the Mayans and the Inca um, and those as well. And I mean, here in central Ohio, we have the earthworks as well that I enjoy going to see. And like I've done Serpent Mound, which that's it's cool a bit of a uh underwhelming experience but it's still something that i enjoyed doing Um, i feel like it's something you kind of have to see from above yeah it it would be more visually stimulating from above it's like the the nazca lions a bit yeah i funny enough i'm I like grew up close to where that's at Mm -hmm. and i didn't even know about it until like two or three years ago really yeah (laughs) But Don't know I what's in your go. own backyard. Exactly. I I want to go to that and see it at some point. I know it's a short day trip. We we can make a day trip of it. Yeah, and it's it's never just something I think about doing on like a Saturday and going and seeing and coming home. Like, I don't know. Let Let's plan it. We'll do it. Yeah, let's do it. We should plan it for on like an equinox or on a solstice because some of it does have alignments. Oh, let's do that. Let's that sounds not, like fun. We're not doing it in the winter, though. We're not doing it in December. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> Cold. Get a jacket. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll, um, we'll get it. We'll, we'll get something worked out. Um, so you mentioned that you've traveled for quite a few prides. Like yes. What, um, describe to me like what it's like for that person who's like, I want to go to pride but I'm not out yet or like I just came out and like, I want to go and experience this. Like, what's that like? So the first pride I ever went to was, was that Toledo pride? I went to Toledo pride, small, tiny pride. Yeah. Um, and I just went for the pride parade at that point. I was in undergrad. It was, my sophomore year, I went with a couple of friends from college and we did the festival. We walked around the booths. We saw the parade, but we didn't do any of the bars or any of the like actual events. But for me, that was all that I wanted. Like I wanted to see the, the pride, if you will. Yeah. And then I started doing a few other prides and I went to Columbus pride I then went to Cincinnati Pride. And again, those were all just, I went for the parade and the festival. I didn't go and do bar nights. But once I started traveling, I was with my partners. My partners are both a little bit older than me. Um, The one is six years older than me. The other is 15 years older than me. And so a bit more experience, know a bit more about gay culture. And they 
took me out to the bars and I trust them obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they took me to the bars and that's where I really started having fun. And I wouldn't have gone to the bars unless I had a friend or friends to go with me. Like I, I enjoy socializing. I enjoy being out, but those types of sp- types of spaces, I, I do want and need other people there that I know because I, I, I'm not good at just engaging with random individuals. I like having my group of people that I can have fun with and enjoy and dance and right. just have fun with for the evening and make sure we're looking out for each other and make sure nothing bad happens to each other. So like what, um, what's it like, like not just a bar scene, but like what's it like in all the other events of pride? What happens so, I mean, there's a lot that happens. I mean, it's a week of festivities and activities. I mean, local organizations like uh, here in Columbus is our Stonewall Columbus puts on charitable events. There's more events happening with like youth drop-in centers and everything there that are just, they're either trying to get more support or funding or they're just trying to show off themselves and show that they are pride or part of the queer community here. Um, so there's always events going on, uh, charity events, uh, there's often softball tournaments or drag, uh, drag softball, or there's various things. And each community is a little bit different. Like when I went up to Vancouver, they had the international fireworks competition in their bay that week of pride. It wasn't part of pride, but they always timed it up to be the same week and, the gays just adopted as part of the festivities. So there would be thousands of people lining the beaches and the, and the shorelines of the water and watch these 20, 30 minute firework shows go off by three or four different nations in the Bay. Um, And then there would be, DJs playing music at various bars and they'd have themes and everything else. And the theme nights are fun. Um, Get to wear your leather harness, your other accoutrements and just get to show off, show, show the world your pride. So you get, you just get to be you. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have, you get to be authentically you. Yeah. You don't have to conform to anything. It's pride. (laughs) Fuck norms. (laughs) I love it. Um, I've been to Pride like once, um, and it was after the parade, and I was just like walking around downtown Columbus, nothing crazy. Right. Um, it was cool. It was cool seeing everyone, you know, being themselves and having a good time and all that. Like, I literally just went because I was like, I just want to see it, and like I want to go have dinner down there. So, yeah, it's cool. Um. So I I want to ask like I want to take a a darker turn I okay. guess, um, so fantastic that you didn't have to like face much adversity uh like coming out and like you know, there was a little bit but like it wasn't it wasn't anything crazy right was there anything any other like demons that you battled like growing up or like anything else like did you have to deal with like anxiety or being like casted out as like a a loner or anything so i mean 
I do have anxiety. I, and I think I do have borderline depression. Um, and I have, I've recently been diagnosed with ADHD. So like there, there are things in my life that I've realized that were more challenging or difficult or made my life more challenging or difficult. Um, because when I was like preceding all of that, uh, in elementary school, early elementary school, I was diagnosed with like a reading disability, something similar to dyslexia. Um, and so I always was fighting that, but I was never a loner or an outcast. I, I, I always had a small group of friends. I, I wouldn't say I was the most popular. Mm. I definitely was not, but I had two or three close friends and then a group about 10 or so of good friends that I would actively engage with. Um, but being in a class of 48 graduating, you couldn't really have many people that were outcasts, if you will. Like yeah. we, we were a fairly close-knit group of people. And fortunately, my two really good friends in high school, um, especially once we were sophomores and freshmen, or freshmen, sorry, once we were sophomores and juniors we got to be really good friends and like my one friend had a brother a year below her in school and got to be good friends with him and his friends and so there was just a really good group of us that would always hang out um but back to the anxiety and depression and adhd so i think a lot of that stems from my reading disability that i had growing up and i i I think it was partially a misdiagnosis or that it was just something that wasn't fully understood for me. Um, but fortunately I was able to test out of it once I got into high school, but it was still something that nagged or persisted. Like there was still a certain level of, I do struggle with reading. It takes me longer than normal people to read something. I, I will reread paragraphs or sentences or lines on a page two three times without realizing that oh my eyes aren't tracking and i'm not catching that i'm not moving down the page hmm. so th th there, there are things in my life that i've had to work or overcome such as that um, but i'm i still got my master's degree i'm still planning to go for a phd i'm still doing stuff i just have to learn coping me mechanisms and learn to grow and adapt from it yeah with uh with the reading um was there like any comprehension issues did you have to read things like multiple times you're like i don't even realize what i just read so when i am like when i am reading like i will comprehend it i will absorb everything it's just my eyes won't always understand that i've read that already and know to mm. track to the next line so i'll read the sentence that first line or first two sentence two lines over and over my body my, my brain will comprehend that i've understood it but my eyes won't get the signal to keep going mm -hmm. to keep tracking down the page for other bits of information interesting and now you've You've dealt with that for many a years. All my and, life, really. Yeah. And it still affects you today. I, When I'm reading documents at work, there will be times where I'm like, you read that paragraph already. Move <laughs> on. Like, I, I have to conscience, consciously 
be thinking about how I'm reading. Yeah. Interesting. And now that now I feel like that is probably an explanation on how you're having anxiety is like, oh, I have to make that conscious decision that I've done this already. I have to move on. Like, is that, am I right in saying that or is there something else? So I I think the anxiety with that, I mean, being a queer individual, anxiety stems from that with the reading disability. I think a bit of my anxiety comes from, like I said, being queer, but also uh, having imposter syndrome because I have that reading disability and I've achieved where I've gotten, there's sometimes this disillusionment that if I have this or have had this diagnosis before, how am I achieving what I'm achieving? And that's probably because I have had, I've learned coping mechanisms. I've grown or I've learned ways around those obstacles that impede me. Um, The depression I think is just a stem from anxiety, from queer challenges and facing community challenges as part of my job and just seeing the world around us. I I think going through COVID has really highlighted some of those issues for individuals and then society at large that there are problems in our society and community that are affecting people's mental state and it's okay to talk about it now. It's becoming Mm -hmm. more accepted to be like, no, I'm not having a good mental day. Like I've actually had to tell people, I don't have the mental energy to have this conversation with you today. Please talk, message me uh, tomorrow or the next day and we can have that conversation Yeah, just because I don't have that energy at that time. And I, I think that's, I think that's great progress for community or society to be able to say, I value your time. I can't have this right now. I'm, I'm not ready for it. Just mm-hmm. type of simple. I, I understand, but I need something. I need a little bit of time for it. Yeah. I just, I just want to say really quick. I, I understand that you face those challenges and I want to say, looking at you, like knowing you, I don't, I don't feel like you, I guess, forecast those outward. Like you hold it in, in not in like a negative way right like i know you cope and all that but i it's not something that i see on the outside that like shit ethan is depressed today like yeah well i don't see it i know i probably didn't do a great job describing what i'm trying (laughs) to say but i feel like you kind of understand what i'm trying what i'm right i i mean coping mechanisms exist that that's how we get through our day-to-day life Mm -hmm. um and so because I I would say I definitely had an anxiety uh, growing up a gay kid in rural Northwest Ohio that I learned how to hide and cope with it because those would be seen as weaknesses or those would be seen as opportunities or openings for people to attack. Yeah. And so you have to hide it, especially at that age with the tyrants that are other children. Yeah. Teenagers are ruthless. Right. <laughs> I was one. I was. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And so I, I think today being able to be more open about my mental state and then being able to able to assess how I feel and be able to understand where my emotions are coming from, being emotionally aware of myself and being emotionally smart of just 
conditions and being empathetic to others really has allowed for myself to be like, this is what I'm feeling. That's okay. What do I need to do to move forward and get over it? Mm -hmm. And not just get over it, but process the, the information or process the, the event and move forward. So it doesn't maybe affect me as the same in the future. Right. Yeah. I, I think you're doing a great job with it. I'd try, <laughs> try. Um, so I spoke to you about this earlier okay. and I want to take like a complete 90 degree turn here. All right. And, where are we going? With that? Um, so this isn't something that I like try to, I guess, record and have the conversation about, but I was following the news recently. Okay. Surprisingly. And, um, comedian dave chappelle released his closer stand-up yes. special and i find it relevant to speak about it here now with you and like get some understanding on a perspective from someone in the lgbtq plus uh community and i want to know what you think you you watched it so right? okay yes i watched it because I like it from the horse's mouth. I don't like regurgitated information. Like yes. I, 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 I'm a data analyst. I, if I'm going to look at something, I need the source that yes. that's, that's how I, I am. Um, I will say I'm not a trans person. Um, I am a white individual. I am gay. I'm queer. Um, but I am not a trans individual. Um, Dave Chappelle, I, I will say it was problematic what he was saying, especially his references to being a turf and any defense of J.K. Rowling. It, it was reprehensible. I will say that there were aspects of his routine, though, that he is a comedian and a lot of it was satirical or... Um, sarcastic in in voice and that a lot of his his gripe that he points out with his humor the statement that he's trying to make with this act was that queer individuals especially white queer individuals trans gay what have you really are able to turn on and off their diversity um their, their whiteness they're able to use their whiteness in a way that is beneficial privilege. yes they're yeah. able to use their privilege as being white yeah in situations where a black person would not be able to use those and to that degree he is correct i as a white gay man i have a lot of privilege that a black man or a black gay man or any person of color would ha not have that I have. And for me to be able to claim that, yes, I am a that I am a person of diversity. I need to own and be that diversity wholly all the time mm -hmm. and accept that I am truly and wholly diverse. But code switching happens. I can go into a situation and present myself as I hate the term normal. I can present myself as 
a white guy that you don't know anything else, but I'm a white guy. Yeah. And, and that's that's what, that's the problem. Yeah. And I I I don't want to make excuses for Dave Chappelle. He, what he said was reprehensible. He is anti-trans. I think the larger point of what he is saying about the queer movement, moreover, is that if we're going to own our our diversity, then own it and be more like those individuals in the early days of the queer uh, movement of Stonewall in New York and don't be a fucking afraid to throw a brick. And I, I would advocate that. Uh, there are aspects of the queer community that want to assimilate and normalize into heterosexual culture. And for a large part, I don't want that. And I, I'm speaking for myself here. I don't want my queerness to be normalized. I want to be individual. I don't want everything about me to become commonplace because I am an individual. I am different and that's okay. I want my difference to be okay. I just, yeah. Yeah. Normal is a very strange term. I think both of our eyes. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think people should be treated differently just because of who they are. But I don't think there should be like a normal treatment for people. Does that make sense? Come to where people are, not where you're at. Yeah. Meet someone where they're at. If mm. if that's where they want to be, meet them there. Um, and so, yes. And so back to the Dave Chappelle. He He's problematic. That That's all that I can really say. And I don't want to defend his remarks. And I don't want to have my words misconstrued. I think the big thing that he identified that resonates with me that I can say I do agree with is that white queer people are still privileged and need to look in the mirror and really evaluate and make sure that when we are advocating for our space for queerness that we are doing so in a way that does not take away from other voices does not take away from people of color voices because we are white and queer we can hide yeah yeah that makes sense um i so one one point that I would like to make is I think that a lot of what he said, like, I, I don't want to say what he says was right. I don't want to say what he says was wrong. I want to say that a lot of what he says is more in a joking manner, but I don't want to say that he's just making light of things. I want to say that there is a level of seriousness and there's a level of making fun of something that he has and it kind of meshes and there's a level of understanding that you listeners need to have to understand that sometimes he's being serious and sometimes he's not, but I'm not saying what he said was correct. 
Right. What he said was not correct, especially in regards to the trans community, especially when his discussion revolved around J.K. Rowling and TERFs. Um, so that part of it was yes. And I, I don't want to give him freedom or leeway to for that because he's a comedian. But I, I think I think other people should still be able to critique other communities actions for progress because that does not take away from the progress. It's challenging the mode of that progress and hopefully presenting ideas of new ways to improve that because at the end of the day, I think we all want a world of peace and harmony. It's yes. how do we get there? Yeah. And I, I, I think if and correct me if I'm wrong at one point, even in Chappelle's uh, standup routine routine, he compared MLK and Malcolm X in their two approaches to the freedom marches and the black Panther movement. And so the critique is there that there are multiple ways of moving a movement forward, not saying one or the other is better, but identifying that there are good parts and bad parts to both or all styles of moving the mission forward. Yeah, I'd say I'd say there's a big difference in movement styles in the past, you know, 1900s to 2000s and then 2000s to today i think there's a huge difference uh that he highlights but i'm i'm also not gonna say that one is right and one is wrong like i i want i will freely criticize the human rights campaign they they are a lot of just white serving gay and lesbian individuals they are they lack the trans community or have historically lacked that part of the community representing them and advocating for them. Um, not to say they didn't, but that it was not the primary focus and that the primary focus was on marriage equality. And to show that it was primarily focused on two white men or two white women normalizing into heterosexual culture which that is problematic because there are several queer individuals out there that don't fit the heteronormative lifestyle and that's okay the so the critique there is that the hrc did good on providing marriage equality but that's not the only queer movement that's been going on. That's just but in what has been the talking point and been in the news because that is what conservatives have been fighting against. Because mm -hmm. that is the most mainstream aspect is just people wanting equal protection under the law of if they do get married to somebody that they want to have that same experience under the law. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. There's there's definitely more that needs to be done in the sense of progress and accepting people for who they are and letting them, I guess, 
assimilate into the heterosexual norm that has been I don't know what ingrained what, for the last 2000 years. Yes, that's that's what I'm trying to say. Um yeah, I just let people be people, man. I as long as no one's causing harm to anyone else and you're not you're not hurting others, you're not harming any anyone's property or whatever like as long as you know all done all done with respect to the individual's wants and desires. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't know. I think there's more conversations that need to be had of just sitting down and getting to know someone and understanding where they come from to, to really, I guess, open the eyes of other individuals to realize that, why why would i care what someone else does behind closed doors in their own home if they're not hurting someone i i'll challenge you and take it one further if it's out in the street and it's not hurting anybody and it's not providing a public nuisance why the fuck does it matter to you right yeah i i failed to mention that i i would i would also <laughs> say that as well i don't care if if you and your two boyfriends are hanging out in the street in front of my house and you so know, long as we're not fornicating. Yeah. Who am yeah. I to care? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting world we live in. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, yeah. Do you have anything else that you want to add into, into that or <sighs> The queer movement is not dead and it's not going anywhere. There's still a lot of things we need to do to get people on the same page with equality, uh, especially the children uh, in high schools that are uh, trans or questioning or genderqueer or somewhere in between or elsewhere on the gender spectrum we do need to have supports in place and have have a place that is safe and secure for for these children to feel like they are okay and that they are going to be safe mm-hmm. um there does need to be more done uh for those children's safety um so that way they can be who they are and express themselves in the way that they want to be um there just needs to be more support um for that uh, one of my good friends formerly worked for the Trevor Project and was helping get uh, bills passed across the country. And uh, they indicated that during COVID, their suicide hotlines were spiking through the roof because not just queer kids, not just gay kids, uh, including trans kids, but a lot of kids in general were experiencing increases in trauma at home from being with their parents prolonged because there was these children were spending time with their abusers more so than they were previously. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying to me. Yeah. Like, holy shit. I can't imagine what, what like kids are going through living, you know, their lives, how they want to and being stuck with, you know, the people abusing them the most. Yeah. So, just love your kid for being a kid. Like, let yeah. him be. Just 
hope that they mature and are good people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I I think there's a level of education that needs to be given, uh, and an understanding that needs to be had for, you know, people to just be people these days, and you shouldn't hate someone because of who they love or their difference of opinion or their skin color or you know whatever like how they dress or how they present themselves to society it doesn't fucking matter yeah absolutely i can tell you that i have had like we've had like deep discussions and like difference of opinions and we talk about it for a while and like we I've gotten still you around absolutely to love each other I've gotten you. I've gotten you over to my side on most of them. Well, yeah, like there's <laughs> there's some things that we have discussed, and like you know, there's 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 even things where we're like playing devil's advocate, oh, yes. or you know, we're trying to hit all the points, and we're having like a deep discussion, but we still love each other, and like you know, we can both sit here and talk about you know something completely messed up in the ways that uh, i don't know people have been treated and like one of us could say one side and one of us could say another side and we could still sit here and have an intelligent discussion we're not yelling at each other or whatever and i think we also lived with each other for a year in very close proximity (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i think i think that needs to be had more often and I think that there, there needs to be like that step back of perspective and not just sit here and your, have your horse blinders on. I, I, I'll agree with you, but challenge you. I'm not going to sit down with anybody that wants me dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't recommend that. So to that end, I don't think any queer person. I don't need to have a dialogue with. Anybody who's a white nationalist, a neo-Nazi, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that wants to see me or anybody like me or anybody that's trans or anybody that's black or anybody that's Jew, we don't have to sit down with them. That's they. I know where they're at. I know what they want. Yeah. There's no middle ground between them wanting me dead or them not wanting me where I'm at now. And me just wanting to exist right yeah i think that would be more of an extreme case that i would probably leave off of my ideas i think that there is a lot more help that those type of people need um well they're brainwashed and they're conditioned to believe what they're believing yeah yeah it's it's an interesting like rabbit hole to go down and <laughs> I yeah I don't know I don't have any answers and I don't have any like deep considerable critical thoughts about that um but yeah I was I was taking the the regular <laughs> people us deciding what the next levy should be to increase the school taxes for the taxpayers to fund the new stadium yeah Okay. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. <laughs> we we can have we can have an impassioned discussion about that. Yeah, we can we can talk about that. I But I I would say let's increase the that tax so that way we can fund the arts department again. Yeah. Because those I mean were the biggest cuts and 
we we need the arts people. Yeah, I I would agree with. Don't that. don't get me wrong. I I enjoy sports. Like mm-hmm. there there is something to be said about the time and dedication and effort that people put into their sport, but there are also creatives out there that need to be supported and given the opportunity to showcase their talents as well in places other than the physicality of sporting. Absolutely. I would agree with you. Um, so I, I know that we could sit here for another four hours and discuss this. <laughs> we, we can talk for forever. I, we yeah. know this. Yeah. We, we know this. We've sat here for geez 12 hours in a sunday to do nothing but chit chat (laughs) (laughs) um but i do i do want to wrap this up okay um we covered a lot we did cover a lot and i think it's interesting i think we were just starting to get into like a a deeper level of you and i yeah and (laughs) we could go another episode and just like chat about whatever love to um thank you i would love that um, but I do want to ask you one more question Please. that I will be asking everyone. Okay. Um, any, is there anything that you want to leave as like the legacy of Jojo is like any advice? What would you give? What would you give the advice of, you know, seven year old you? What, what advice would you want? You know, any family members, that hear this and you know you're not here anymore right what do you want to live what do you want to live on in your name so the thing that i i always come back to is empathy it, it, it's live life of empathy um always be looking for how you can try and better understand someone else someone whose conditions in life are not as good as your own and just always consider how 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 are my actions or how is my treatment towards those people going to affect them in what they're doing and so what i i mean is live life of empathy to so that way you have an understanding of if i do this it's going to affect these people in this way is that good or bad? And is that what I want people to know my actions for? So in life, be empathetic to all people. So that way you help that person, you provide in a way, so that way the place is better for them tomorrow than it is today. And I'm not necessarily saying give your last $20 bill to the person on the corner but give your time, give your energy, give your resources to making the pl- the world, the community around you better to better today for tomorrow. Just move forward and be helpful. I love it. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I I think that's great advice. I I love it. I try to live by those words as well. Um yeah. Anything else? That, that that does it awesome well thank you so much for being here thank i you. had a fantastic time same uh, this was awesome listening to you and like your perspective and everything that you have to say and 
living and growing up the way that you did. I think it's fascinating. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for hanging out. And until next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fatal to Prejudice. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, please visit my website at CameronChats.com and fill out the contact me form. Please fill out the subject line as podcast interview and write me a small blurb on why you or someone you know should be a guest. I'll leave a link in the description for ease of access. You can support this podcast by listening to it on your favorite podcasting site. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Another way to support is by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fatal to prejudice. Patreon is the only monetary support system. If you would like to sign up and support through there, I am forever grateful for you. Again, thank you for tuning in.